Like so many of us here today, as a child, I grew up in an, a home where it was an unlocked door. I grew up in an unlocked house. And not only was the door unlocked, but in our house, we had a very overt policy that you were always welcome at the Garvins. And as a result, you never knew who would be joining you. You never knew who would be coming through that door at all hours of the day and all hours of the night. As an adult, I have a markedly different posture. In fact, like so many of you, I have a pretty standard routine before I retire for the evening. The last thing that I'll do before I go to bed, I'll check and I'll make sure all the doors are safely locked. I'll go over and I'll press a few buttons on a security pad to turn the security alarm on. Now, there are some who will say, well, pastor, that's because the world has changed and people have changed and that we live in a very different world than we did when I was a child. But actually, that's not true. You see, my posture has changed because I live in precisely the same world that I did as a child, a very imperfect place around very imperfect people. And I think there, there are some things that are worthy of being protected, that are worthy of being guarded. In fact, here's what God's word says to us in Proverbs chapter four. It says, above all else. Say that with me. Above all else. Say it again. Above all else. What does that mean? It means this is more important than anything else. This is to be our priority. That above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, Guard your heart. You know, February is National Heart Month. Fits the theme because of Valentine's Day coming up in just a few weeks. I find it interesting that the men are going to a Solar Bears game on Valentine's Day. Men, I hope that works well for you. Uh, looking forward to being with you at the Magic Game, and I think that the trip uh, to Gainesville for the Gator Nationals will be an absolute blast. Uh, I have other arrangements on Valentine's Day, and those of you who are married, I would encourage you to do the same. It's National Heart Month. I think it's a good opportunity to take a moment and pause and to check our hearts. Guard your heart above all else. Why? Well, it, it tells us there in Proverbs chapter 4, it says, for all of life flows out of it. Or another translation puts it this way. It says, it's the wellspring of life. So I want to talk to you about the heart. I want to challenge you this morning to guard your heart. That, that invisible part of you that, that philosophers and, and poets and, and preachers refer to all the time. Because life is hard on the heart. The world is full of outside influences that have the power to disrupt the rhythms of our heart. And most of these outside influences that, that attempt to disrupt the rhythm of our heart, most of them are subtle. In fact, oftentimes they present themselves as protections from further disruption. And over time what we do is we develop these habits that slowly erode our heart's 
sensitivity. And the inevitable pain and disappointment of life causes us to set up walls around our heart. I believe a lot of this is understandable. I, I really do. But at the end of the day, there's no dispute. There's no debate. There's no way around the truth that for the overwhelming majority of us that our heart is out of sync, that our heart is out of rhythm. And while we mistakenly see these disruptors as a natural part of who we are, we, we accept these disruptors to the natural rhythm of our heart as, as part of our personality. In fact, we'll even catch ourselves saying, well, that's just the way I am. But the people that have been around us for a while know that that's not the case. That something has shifted, that something has changed, that the amount of joy that we walk with, that the frequency of the smile, that something's amiss. And it's all about the heart. I, I mentioned earlier that I, I grew up in a home that had an open door policy. And I did. And and the result of that open door policy is this. My home of origin, it produced thieves and drug addicts and alcoholics and felons. You see, the open door, the Garvin household growing up, it, it wasn't just about people. It was about it was about things. It was, it was, allow, it was about the, the media intake that we were allowed and the influences that were welcomed into our home. We had a, a lock on the door of our house and, and occasionally it was switched. But I grew up in an environment where the heart was never guarded. And I see in the life of my family the result of an un guarded life. So I stand here before you as, as one who by the grace of God was able to escape that. To offer you today an encouragement and not just an encouragement but to offer you a dire warning as one who sees the consequences of leaving your life unguarded that above all else wow Solomon got it right when he wrote that in Proverbs chapter 4. Above all else, guard your heart. As I look across this room this morning, and I know as folks watch from their television, television screen or their computer screen this morning, that I'm speaking to people who have Experience the consequence and, and understand the pain of an unguarded heart. And so we gather this morning, we gather with hardened hearts because of the experiences that we've had and the challenges that we faced. Some of you are here and you came in this morning with a broken heart. Because of the situations of life, because of the issues of the day. 
And you've walked in to here this morning with a broken heart because you uh, allowed your heart to be stolen. You connected relationally in an area that you knew you shouldn't connect. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not, I'm not here to criticize or condemn. In fact, I believe that God brought you here this morning not to beat you up, but he brought you here to give you a path back. Some of you are here this morning and you have allowed a habit, an ideal, or a person to steal your heart. And in right now, you're in, that, you're in that time where it all looks good. And you're finding some enjoyment and you're finding fulfillment in that activity or that relationship. that is stealing your heart. And God has brought you here to say, wait, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. I, I want to take just a few moments this morning. I, I want to talk about the enemies of the heart. I, I want to take a few moments this morning and ask you to, to check your heart. Cardiologists use a procedure called an arteriogram. They do this to diagnose the, the, the health of a patient's heart. They'll put dye in and then use an x-ray. And this morning, if, if you'll allow me, I, I'd, I'd like to take us to a place where that great soul physician, the Holy Spirit, can do a check on our, on our heart. Prophet Jeremiah declared in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitfully wicked. The heart is deceitful above all things. So that could be discouraging if it weren't for the words of Ezekiel, which God says this through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I believe that that prophetic word that Ezekiel spoke centuries ago, that that's a prophetic word that God is giving to you, friend, this morning. That he's brought you here today to deal with that heart of stone and to remove that heart of stone and to give you a heart of flesh. It's time for us to look at our heart. These things that, that, that attack our heart, right? Physically, we understand that. We understand the issue of high cholesterol, uh, triglycerides, hypertension. All, all of these are well-known foes that, that wreak havoc on the human heart. But as devastating as these can be, they pale in comparison to those that attack the spiritual heart. Four enemies of the heart that cannot be measured in a doctor's office, but absolutely must be understood and must be dealt with. They're, they're the four primary enemies of the heart, four life-blocking agents that become lodged in the heart, and they poison our relationships, they poison our faith, they attack our character, the enemies of the heart. 
I believe that God brought us here to talk about it because secrecy, silence, and judgment are their enemy. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. It fuels this destruction of the heart. It, it fuels this spiritual disease in the heart. So God challenges us that we're supposed to come together, that we're supposed to gather together, that we're supposed to confess our faults to one another, that we're supposed to confess our sins, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These issues, the, 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 the enemies of the heart. By the way, if, if, if they're left to their own, they, they, they grow in power and, and influence, like a, like a lab experiment that's gone terribly wrong. But as, as we'll discover, uh, when we expose the issues that are the enemies of the heart, when we expose them to the light of God, they lose their power. So let me just give you, uh, let me just give you uh, four of them uh, real quickly. Uh, number one is this, the issue of guilt. Guilt. Somehow I owe, uh, specifically that I owe you. Matthew 15, it says this, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law, they, they came to Jesus and they asked him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied and says, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have, have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about me. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are from for, far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And Jesus called to the crowd and said, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him clean. They... Honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in this, we get sucked in to these enemies of the heart. We get, we get sucked in to, to things like guilt. Guilt. I owe you. Guilt. I have done a bad thing. And, and I, I believe this. I believe that guilt comes in, in two forms. Guilt comes in conviction, which is a good thing, the desire to change. And, and, and conviction is actually a gift from the Holy Spirit. All right? But here's what the enemy does. The enemy takes and twists this thing that is conviction and turns it into condemnation. Okay? Condemnation is you did a bad thing. And what happens is this issue of guilt, I owe you, I've, I've, I've done something wrong, I, I have committed a bad 
deal, if left unchecked, what happens is it becomes shame. Guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. They are the two most powerful twins that the enemy uses to erode your heart. Guilt. I did something wrong. I did something bad. Shame. I am something bad. And far too many of us, what happens is this, is, is we, we so become identified by the mistakes that we make, the imperfections that we make, and you are an imperfect person. I am an imperfect person. Perfection is reserved for God alone. But we become so identified by our imperfections and guilt and its partner shame becomes so much a part of how we perceive ourselves and how we believe that others perceive us that we put ourselves in a defensive posture and it skews the way that we see everyone else. Rather than living out the word of God that says accept one another then just as God has accepted you. In other words, look at people the way that God looks at you. And friends, when God looks at you, he says this. As far as your sins are, really, are concerned, that they are as far away from you as the east is from the west. Here's what I love. I love the fact that God's word says that I choose to remember their sins no more. When God looks at me, when God looks at you, he looks at us through the lens of grace. And as he looks at us through the lens of grace, here's what he sees. He sees an individual who has nothing, no wrong for which they can be held accountable. Because he looks at us through the lens of grace. And that's the way that God wants us to look at one another. He wants us to look at one another through the lens of grace. But we find it difficult, if not impossible, to do so because these enemies of the heart skew our perception of who we are, which influences our belief of how the people around us are. And so it affects us relationally, it affects us in our identity, and it permeates down to the very fiber of our being. This issue of guilt, I owe you. Shame, I somehow owe me. And, 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 and we, we should have an understanding of this issue of guilt and shame because we're introduced to it at the very beginning, at the very dawn of time, at the very dawn of man. Right? Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan comes, influences them. They fall prey to Satan's lies as he uses the insidious scheme of the question and gets them questioning things. Right? First time we hear Satan talk, he asks a question. Mankind starts questioning things, steps outside of God's plan. Guilt. I've done something wrong. Shame, I was naked and afraid, so I hid. Clothed myself and hid. We've been dealing, since the very dawn of creation, we've been dealing with these issues, the enemies of the heart. 
Guilt and shame fuel anger. Guilt, I owe you. Shame, I owe me. Anger, you owe me. And we live in a culture, I, I, I will say this, one of the ways our world has changed and continues to change, we are becoming a progressively more angry society. Sir, let me ask, let me ask you a question. What are you so mad about? You, you can't turn on the television today. You can't listen to media and not see the anger, right? Turn on the news. Everybody's angry. Watch the, watch the debates that are happening. Everybody's angry. Listen, turn on Christian television. They're all mad. In fact, do this. Try this experiment one time. Turn on Christian television. Turn the volume all down and just watch the facial expressions. It'll, it'll grip you. And we're all, we're all angry. We're angry about what? And, and the craziest things will make us mad. Somebody will pass us on I-4. Right? And here's what you know. Anyone who's driving slower than you on I-4, come on, can you just go already? Anyone driving faster than you is a maniac. Where's that maniac going? Could you hurry up? Seriously, this is my lane. Your lane's not built yet. They're building your lane right now. This whole issue of, of anger... That's the reason why in Colossians, Paul says this in Colossians 3.8, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander. They all, they all feed one another. This issue of, of guilt and shame feeding anger and greed. Guilt. I owe you. Greed, I owe me. Anger, you owe me. Greed, God owes me. I deserve more than what I have. And it just, it feeds. We talked about that last week, Luke chapter 12. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. We develop greed for stuff. We develop greed for recognition. We develop greed for all kinds of different areas of life. And these enemies of the heart, right? Guilt, shame, Anger, greed. Guilt, shame, anger, greed. And they are subtle and insidious. And we find ourselves sucked in. Guilt and shame. Guilt and shame cause us to pull back from relationship. Guilt and shame cause us to hide from God. Guilt and shame cause us to disfellowship from from fellow believers. Guilt and shame cause us to engage in relationships that we know are wrong, but we're convinced that those are the only people that will accept us. Guilt and shame keep us bound. 
anger comes alongside. How could he do that to me? How could she say that about me? How could they respond in that way? And it builds and builds and builds. Greed. Greed comes about in a number of different ways. Greed comes about for, with a victim mentality. Everybody's mean to me. Nobody likes me. Oh, woe is me. Friends, the victim mentality is a subtle form of greed. Okay? Let me help you. Everyone doesn't hate you. Everyone's not against you. Greed. Listen, I deserve better. No, you don't. No, you don't. You know, you know what you deserve? You deserve death, hell, and the grave. That's what you deserve. By the way, I don't deserve it either. So, I want you to turn to the person to your left and say, you don't deserve any better. Go ahead, tell them. Now, you can tell the person who just told you that, neither do you. Man, if we got what, if we, got what we deserved, right? But see, that's what the enemy is trying to convince you. The enemy is trying to convince you that you deserve something better. And then that there is nothing better. And here's the secret. Are you ready? That God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So even though you don't, don't deserve something better, God offers you something better. But not because you deserve it. N not because you deserve it. Why? Because that's the expression of the Father's love. God demonstrated love to us. It's a matter of the heart. But we allow ourselves to be influenced by guilt, shame, anger, greed. And, and we, get, we get stuck in all of this. Jealousy, right? God's word says this, you want something but don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight and you do not have because you don't ask God. Listen, the key to overcoming this is to recognize that it is the desire of God to bring rhythm, to bring rhythm to your heart. How does that happen? Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, very familiar portion of Scripture. It says this, starting in verse number 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. I'm convinced of this. Where that says, in view of God's mercy, it could say this. Therefore, I urge you, friends, in view of God's demonstration of heart to you. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Look at this starting in verse number three. For, I, for by the grace given me, for God's demonstration of heart given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. How do we have heart health? The first way that we have heart health is by having a, a sober attitude towards ourselves, a sober attitude for our, uh, of ourselves. This means, it means not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. It also means this. It means having an understanding of your identity in Christ. Because what the enemy will do is the enemy will come at you in two different ways. And oftentimes he does it at the same time. The enemy will tell you, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And at the moment that you start pushing back against that and think, wait a minute, my understanding of who God is and what God says, I am good enough. The enemy comes at you on the other side and says, who do you think you are? Right? And so while we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, we also need to understand that we were created in God's image and God demonstrated the value that is in you when it says that he gave his only son for you. And having a healthy perspective, a healthy understanding of who you are, not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, but also not living that unhealthy, self-deprecating lifestyle where you're constantly talking about what a horrible person you are. Right? I'm just a horrible offer. I'm, I'm like a worm. Here's what I recognize about me. I'm a guy who lives every day facing the ongoing battle of the sinful nature. I am far from perfect. And I mess up far more often than what I would like. But that is balanced by the reality that I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That I am an overcoming child of God. That I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That I am an heir to every one of God's great and precious promises. And listen, what I've just said about myself can be spoken over you. That's the reality of who you are. So having a sober attitude of who you are, what your identity is in Christ is absolutely important. You need to quit buying into the lies that the enemy speaks over you regarding your identity. having a sober attitude about myself. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Okay? So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but recognize this issue of faith that God has given you. Having a, a healthy understanding of who I am. I stand confident because of Christ, knowing that I'm not the man that he wants me to be, I'm not the man that I was, but that he who has begun a good work in me will continue that work until the day of completion, Philippians says. And, and when, I, when I have a, a healthy understanding of who I am, it changes how I see everything else. 
Sir, you're here and you're pursuing an unhealthy relationship because you bought into the lie that that's the best that you can do. Ma'am, you are here and you are stuck in a bad relationship because you're convinced that no one else will love you. And understand that that is a hellish lie. Do not sacrifice your future. For a moment of situational happiness because the enemy is using the current situation that you're in to try to steal your heart. And make no mistake, a stolen heart always leads to a broken heart. Some of you, you're, you're here today and, and you've allowed an activity, you've allowed an issue, you've allowed a, a, a habitual and even a besetting sin. And right now, you're in the pleasure stage and you go, it's all good. And it's not a big deal because I can just ask for forgiveness anyway because God gives me unlimited grace. Well, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Grace does not take away the scars. Grace doesn't fix the, 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 the pain that is inflicted on others while we're on this crazy journey to self-discovery. And see, that's a hellish lie that the enemy wants you to, to believe, that your unhealthy activity, that it has no consequences and it's not hurting anyone else. It's hurting the people in your life. It's also, it's hurting the people whose testimony your life is supposed to influence. But see, we, we, we get sucked into this. We get sucked into this because we have an unhealthy perception of who we are and who we are to be in Christ. And so it starts, this issue of heart health, it starts with having a sober heart towards myself. And, and, and then when I do that, what happens is this, it causes me to have a sympathetic heart towards others. Christians, we can be some of the most judgmental folks on the planet, right? That's the reason why we find it so difficult to, to live honestly with one another, to do this koinonia thing, to do this fellowship thing, to confess our faults one to another. Because so, for, for so many of us, we tried that one time and you went and told everybody our junk. Right? Or we confess to you that we were having a struggle. We confess to you you having an issue. And the next thing, next thing we know, you either looked at us kind of strange or all of a sudden you held us at arm's reach. Just to where you know our sin is not contagious. The Bible says this. It says that we're supposed to accept one another then. Accept one another then in order to bring praise to God. And even if we perceive ourselves to be strong, we who are strong are to accept those who are weak and not to please ourselves. We're supposed to accept them for their benefit to build them up. Right? And so when I, when I have a, a healthy understanding, when I have a sober attitude about who I am, it allows me to see others through that same lens that God sees me. It allows me to see them through the lens of grace. I think we have an image problem. And that image problem, it, it skews everything. Look at what it says here in Romans chapter 12. It says, just as each, verse 4, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
What that means is this. It means that you need me. And I need you. We need one another. Somehow, somehow in the body of Christ, this whole thing, Christianity, it's become um, way too much of a competition. Far too often, as Christians, um, we, it, when we're together in a group, we want to be the ones that are the most spiritual. If you don't believe me, talk about denominational issues. Right? In fact, I've heard it said, repent and be Baptist, for all have sinned and fall short of the assemblies of God. Because, you know, we always think we're... And we forget that we are all in this thing together. And when we have this sympathetic heart towards others, it helps us to have a, a healthy understanding of love. You'll see what it says there in, in Romans 12, 9. It says this, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. I keep my heart tender when I have a healthy perception of who I am, a sober attitude towards me that, that then colors how I view you. And it it influences how I, how I love. When, when, I have a, when I have an understanding of who I am and an appreciation of who you are, it, it allows me to, to love without condition. Well, there's no such thing with loving with condition. Conditional love is manipulation. Let me say that again. It's impossible to have love with condition. Conditional love is not love at all. It's manipulation. Okay? So I love you if, I love you when, I love you so. That's all manipulation. That's not love. Okay? And God demonstrated love. God didn't say I love, love you if, I love you when. I love you so. He said, I love you. For God so loved who? The world. Okay? Who does that include? Everyone. Does God know everything? Let me help you. The answer to that is yes. Let's try it again. Does God know everything? So if God loves everyone, and God demonstrated that love in the giving of his only son, God knowing everything, God knows this, that he loves people that will never love him. In fact, not only will they not love him, they will stand in pointed opposition to him. They will mock him. They will deny him. They will work diligently to defeat the cause of Christ. And what is God's posture towards that? Sir, ma'am, if you're here and you walked in as a passionate atheist today, here's God's posture towards you. He stands with his arms open wide saying, saying, come unto me all you who are 
weary and heavy burden. I will give you rest. God's posture towards you is no different than God's posture towards me. Right? God does not love if, he does not love when. Blessings are conditional. All throughout scripture you'll find this. If, then, if, then, if, then, if, then. If you do this, this will happen. But love is absolutely unconditional. And that's the posture that God wants us to have. Friends, you cannot love with sincerity if you don't have a healthy perception of the people around you that is fueled by a healthy understanding of who you are. So this issue of a healthy heart, it all starts with the work that God does in you. And dealing with this deception that you've bought into. Tearing down this anger and greed that has been fueled by guilt and shame. And and when we have a, a sober attitude towards ourselves and a sympathetic understanding of the people around us, allowing us to approach love with honesty and sincerity, what that will do is it will make Romans 12.10 very easy to live. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And we'll be steadfast towards this life that he's called us to live, this, this ministry that he wants for us, the ministry that he wants for you. You're here today. And you've got all this junk swimming around in your mind. In your heart, if you push back against the, uh, uh, against the relationship clutter, and the emotional clutter and the intellectual clutter. If you push that back for a moment, you, you know at heart level, you know at soul level the destiny that he has for you. But that destiny has become distant because of a broken heart. That destiny has become distant because of a calloused heart, a, a hardened heart. that destiny has become distant because of a stolen heart. But God in his love and God in his wisdom and God in his mercy brought you here this morning because he wanted to speak over you what he centuries ago spoke prophetically through Ezekiel. When he said in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. The American Heart Association has a new tagline, a new motto, and it says this, American Heart Association, life is why. 
In their simplicity, they, they say something pretty profound. They're looking at it solely from a biological standpoint. Take care of your heart. Why? Life is why. But here's what we know. That we don't just have our season here on earth, that we have an eternal destiny. Friend, your, your life here is, is but an infinitesimal part of the eternal plan that God has for you. And, and in that, this issue of eternal life That's why heart health is important. That's why Solomon spoke well when under the direction of God, he he penned Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. So let's have a quick, very personal conversation this morning. How's your heart? How are you doing with guilt today? Are you carrying a bunch of junk that you know it's, man, life's not where it's supposed to be. You're doing stuff you're not supposed to be doing. You got stuff, you're living in the shadows. God's brought you here, friend, not to beat you up, man. But he's brought you here to set you free this morning. Some of us, we're here today that we've been hanging out in the shadows long enough. We've been dealing with this stuff long enough that it's, it's affected our identity. We come in here today believing the lie that we're not good enough. We've bought into the the enemy has spoken over us that somehow we're damaged goods. In fact, you regularly say, you know, ah, it's just the way I am. And you've accepted this hurt as a part of your identity. You've accepted this shame as, as an integral aspect of your being. You don't want it. It, it. It's painful and it makes you want to hide and disconnect. And yet you've, you've, ex- you, you, you've accepted this untruth that it's, it's who you are. And your guilt and your shame, they're, it's feeding this this anger in your life. You're here this morning and your joy is gone. Yeah, the devil wants you to think, ah, you've always been this way. It's not true, friend. We've seen you. We know what you used to be like before the devil robbed you of your joy. 
before he pulled you into this mistaken identity over your imperfections? And you've reached the point where you go, you know what? I just gotta, I just gotta, I just gotta make the best out of a bad situation. I just have to get as much for me as I possibly can. But when all is said and done, are you really happy? Jesus' very first message, he says this over and over again, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. In the middle of that, he says this, blessed are the pure in heart. I think this is why David said, created me a clean heart, O God. and renew a right spirit within me. Because it, it deals with that issue of guilt and shame. It, it counteracts the, the effects of anger and greed. It allows us to see ourselves for who we are. And to accept those around us just as they are. It allows us to do this. I will often give people counsel. One of the wisest things I say regularly is this. Just breathe. Just breathe. Just breathe through it. Breathe through the dispute. Breathe through the dysfunction. Breathe through it. Just breathe. God, you have me. You created me. You redeemed me. You're still working on me. And you accept me and love me. 